Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Samuel chapter 19. We'll be uh, in verses 18 through 24 this morning, finishing up the chapter, uh, continuing this uh, period of uh, David's life in existence, Saul's life in existence, where Saul is very much um, in pursuit of David, very much at odds with David, and David continues to uh, rely on God for deliverance, rely on God for uh, direction. Um, and in that, we could see something of how God works, how God continues to work in our life and in our experience and our existence. Herbert Jackson was a seminary professor, and uh, he was also a missionary for a time. And in one of his classes, seminary missions class, he was uh, assigned a, a car uh, that would not start without a push. I'm sure many of you have experienced that over the years or seen that, you know, where uh, you got to pop the clutch just right and all those other things to make sure that, that everything kicks in and everything gets started. That, this was his uh, experience. And um, after pondering this problem, he devised a plan. He went to school, uh, to the school near his home. He got permission to take some children out of class and had them push his car off. As, as he made his rounds, he would either park on a hill so that he could get it started uh, or leave the engine running, one of the two. This was his daily routine as he's trying to minister and share in this mission field, in this environment. Uh, but as he got a little older, he uh, his, his health deteriorated, and um, he was uh, forced to, to leave the field, forced to leave the mission field and, and to go into to teaching and so forth. And uh, the new family showed up, who was going to replace him in that mission work, in that mission endeavor, who was going to take over the car. And uh, Jackson uh, got the new man. He said, let me show you how this car works. Let me show you how uh, I have to do to, to, get, to get my rounds, to, to accomplish my task. Let me show you exactly what uh, you need to do to make sure that you're able to do this. And as he was explaining the situation and the circumstance and all those, and, uh, the man said, well, you know, Dr. Jackson, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a mechanic by training. Let, let, me, let me have a look. And uh, he looked under the hood, and, and lo and behold, it was simply a loose cable. Just a loose cable. He, he just, one little move, connected that cable tightly, got it running, started up with no problems. And the reality is, is that for those years of ministry and doing all that, Jackson had gone through times of trouble and difficulty and, and just hardship trying to keep that car running when in fact the power was there all the time. He just wasn't connected to it. He just wasn't connected to the power source. And today we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And the reality that God has provided for us, in the third person of the Trinity, a power source. Somebody who's there to instruct and to teach and to guide help and he's there all the time for the believer but too often 
we find ourselves weary or we find ourselves without power, without energy, without focus, without the ability to do the things that we know God has called us to do. And the simple reason is, is we're not connected to that power source. We're not plugged in. We're not listening. We're not participating in what the Spirit would have us do. The Spirit plays a couple of different roles in our life. And this passage this morning, although it's an Old Testament passage, reflects the Spirit of God and, and how He can work in, in two very different ways. Our message today is called Innervate or Energize. The Holy Spirit in interaction with man. If you're not familiar with the phrase innervate, innervate means to suck the energy out of you. And energize, of course, means to put that energy in. So let's take a look at this passage this morning to see what we discover about the Spirit uh, and His Word. Beginning in verse 18, it says, So David fled and escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah and told him everything Saul had done to him. Then he and Samuel left and stayed at Naoth. And when it was reported to Saul that David was at Naoth in Ramah, he sent agents to seize David. However, when they saw the group of prophets prophesying with Samuel, leading them, the Spirit of God came on Saul's agents, and they also started prophesying. And when they reported to Saul, he sent other agents, and they also began prophesying. So Saul tried again and sent a third group of agents, and even they began prophesying. Then Saul himself went to Ramah, and he came to the large cistern at Sikhu and asked, Where are Samuel and David? At Naoth in Ramah, someone said. So he went to Naoth in Ramah, and the Spirit of God also came upon him. And as he walked along, he prophesied until he entered Naoth and Ramah. Saul then removed his clothes and also prophesied before Samuel. He collapsed and lay naked all that day and all that night. That is why they say, is Saul also among the prophets? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray this morning as we look at this passage and as we look at our relationship with you through the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would instruct us, inform us, guide us, help us, Lord, to, to see the truths of your word and to apply those truths to our lives, to live lives that are committed to you, that are energized by you, by your spirit. Help us, Lord, to, to walk in a way that reveals to the world what a blessing, what a benefit, what a wonderful experience it is to be your. We love you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So we see here. Of course, in this passage, the Holy Spirit does, in fact, have the power to energize us. As, as the experience is playing out here, we, we see the, the Spirit come upon three groups of agents. 
And the text talks about them prophesying. So what exactly is, is, is going on there? Well, obviously with, with anything like this where it's not just abundantly clear uh, what exactly is transpiring, you're going to have different opinions. But, but the, the majority opinion, the, 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 most scholars think that what is happening here is that these individuals were falling into what we today would call an ecstatic experience. That is that, that as they went, as they went to, to carry out their task, the Holy Spirit came upon them and overwhelmed them to the point to where they lost essentially, basically, control over their bodies, their mouths, their speech, those sorts of things. This is not something that, that happens um, um, accidentally. This is not something that is necessarily a, a, a requirement or an expectation of the presence of the Holy Spirit. It is simply a, a, a experience that does happen on occasion when the Holy Spirit manifests itself. Um, it's not something we should expect. It's not something we should desire. It's not something we should be saying that if you haven't experienced it, you haven't experienced the Holy Spirit or you haven't experienced who God is or those sorts of things. It is simply something that God has used on occasion throughout his history and interaction with man to make clear to people that it's he, it's he that is in control and not themselves. That at the end of the day, God is the one who's sovereign. God is the one who's going to make sure things happen. And, and that truth is behind my, my warning, my, my, my caution to you not, to, not to, to think that this is something we need to seek out. We hear all the time from, from our brothers on the or charismatic uh, side that, that you, there's a second blessing that we're supposed to seek out, where there's this experience that we're supposed to encounter, and there's the other things that are supposed to go on. And... and, and while I would never judge somebody's um, own personal experience of God and so forth, I can say with a great deal of confidence that that position, if you're arguing that it is something that needs to happen to everybody or something that's part of, of the experience that God himself has proclaimed, is not consistent with the biblical revelation. When you look through the book of Acts, which is our model for how God works within the church, and, and we, we understand that there are things that happen in Acts that, that don't continue on because they're the first generation, but, but it is still our model for how we continue. And we read in Paul and how he describes the work of the Spirit, especially in the book of Corinthians, and, and we look at that, we see that, that those sorts of experiences were not universal even in the New Testament church. And they were certainly not necessary or not expressions of um, any sort of, of requirement for salvation or, or beyond salvation or anything like that. The scriptures are very clear that when we enter into a relationship with God through the blood of Jesus Christ, accepting his gift of salvation, recognizing that he paid a penalty for us that we could not pay for ourselves, when we enter into that relationship, when we begin that journey, that with that commitment, with that relationship, the Holy Spirit comes along. And that Holy Spirit, he indwells us, and he gifts us, and he directs us, and he guides us. 
And so when we see in it, moments like this in the scriptures, we need to understand that it's not necessarily normative. That is, it doesn't necessarily happen to everybody this way. But it does tell us something very clearly about the fact that the Holy Spirit is capable of energizing, empowering. It's my prayer, it's my hope that as you have journeyed through your Christian life, that you've had those moments, those experiences, those times when you were able to do things, say things, recall things, remember things, express scripture passages or whatever that you didn't even realize you knew or remembered or so forth. And what those moments are when you share your faith with somebody and, and you say things to them and you answer questions to them that, that you didn't even know you knew the answers to. And and, and when, you, when, you know, a, a child or, or a loved one or someone who's inexperienced in Scripture asks you a question, you're able to, to respond to that. And, and you're like, wow, where did that come from? I'm, I didn't even know I knew that. Let me just tell you right now, that came from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit working in you, reminding you, teaching you, directing you, energizing you for that moment. That's a part of his role. That's a part of his task in who he is. And, and we see it played out here it, for what purpose? To protect both Samuel and David. In this particular role, David or God overwhelms these messengers, these agents of Saul, and Saul himself eventually, for the purpose of protecting his people. For the purpose of protecting his anointing. And so we see the Spirit's role in, in, in energizing, in, in, in acting, in, in moving into, into our culture, into our environment, into our situation, is to instruct, it's to teach, it's to it's to do all those things that we understand it to be, but it's also to protect, to preserve, to guide us. I know a lot of times we get we get focused in on guardian angels and that sort of thing, and that's a whole other issue. I'm not I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole today, but I want you to understand that it's not the angels we need to be grateful for. It's the God who sends the angels. And it's a God who protects even sometimes apart from angels. God is the center of our focus. God is the center of our interest. God is the center of our allegiance and our appreciation and our love and our loyalty. He has to be the focus. Because it's he, him that can do all these things. It's him that does do all these things. And we need to acknowledge that. So the Holy Spirit can energize it. The Holy Spirit can also innervate. He can, to use a, a modern phrase, he can suck the life right out of you. Now, we see it here with, with Saul, don't we? He gets there to Naoth. Initially, he has the same reaction that the other agents do. The, the, he begins to, to be overwhelmed and so forth. But then it says what? He says that he collapsed. And lay naked all day and all night. The Spirit stepped in and said, not today. You're just going to lay there. You're just going to lay there. And hopefully, 
didn't happen. But hopefully, Saul, in laying there, you'll realize that you've gone against God's will here. You've gone against God's desires here. You've stepped in a path. You've pursued a, a, a mission, a journey, a direction that is not what God would have you do. And because of that, and because of your role in this situation, and because of David's role and Samuel's role in the situation, I'm going to intervene, and I'm going to stop you. And I'm not just going to stop you. I'm not just going to put a momentary pause on this. I'm going to make you lay there day and night until you realize, or hopefully that you would realize, that you've taken a wrong path here. And we need to understand that, again, while this is not necessarily a, a normative experience in, in how the Spirit works, we need to understand that there, the Spirit does indeed work today to stop us, to halt us at times from doing things that God would not have us do. Sometimes He does it through circumstances. Sometimes He does it through godly advice and counsel that people come to us and they say, wait a minute, I, I know what you're considering here. I know what you're thinking about here. I know what you're going through here. And, and I really just want you to reconsider that. Sometimes the Holy Spirit works that way. Sometimes he just puts a real burden on your heart, a burden that you just can't shake, a burden that you just can't um, escape from. And I believe that there are times that perhaps he physically stops you. Maybe he makes your car break down. Maybe he just causes you to, to just not have the energy to get up and do things. But the purpose of both of these realities, the energizing and the innervating, is, is to what? It's to reveal that he's the one who's in control. He's the one who guides us. The Holy Spirit is not a magic lamp that we rub when we need power or we need energy or we need focus or knowledge or those sorts of things. The Holy Spirit is not, you know, somebody who's there to, to do our bidding. He doesn't answer to us. He doesn't respond and work and operate and function the way we would want him to. We are expected to answer and respond and function the way he wants us to. And we need to be mindful of that. So what is the difference maker? What's the difference maker and what the Holy Spirit does? The difference maker is simply this. Which one the Holy Spirit does is often dependent upon our response to him. How have we responded to him? How have we listened to him? And, and there's a couple of things that, that we see here in this passage that, that kind of reflect that, reveal that. The, the, the first thing I think we see is the fact that, that we need to seek him in our weariness, in our tiredness. When you look at David here in the, in the first couple of verses, you, you just get the feeling, you just get the sense that he's just tired. He's just tired. 
He's been fighting these battles on Israel's behalf against the Philistines. He's led them to, to multiple victories, multiple successes. He's honored Saul at every turn. You know, Saul is, you know, he's the king. We need to respect him. We need to honor him. I'll go out and I'll fight on his behalf. I'll come in and I'll play my instrument when he's struggling. He's just been giving and giving and giving. And what's he gotten back? Spears thrown at him. Angry words uttered in his direction. Curses uttered in his name. He's tired. He's tired. And I imagine there are many of you here today who are going through or have gone through similar circumstances. There's someone in your life, there's someone in your experience who you just continue to pour into. You just continue to give to and, and love on and, and, and sacrifice for and, and serve and, and help. And all you've gotten back is anger, frustration, Unkind words, attacks that are unfair, and you're tired. You're tired. So what do you do? You do what David did. He went to the Lord. He went to the Lord. He went to Samuel, the text says. He, he visited Samuel in Naoth. He didn't get angry with God. He didn't express disappointment with God. He didn't, you know, uh, just go off by himself into the wilderness. Well, I'm just going to go out here. and Nobody loves me. Nobody appreciates me. I'm just going to go be alone. He went and found a person he could fellowship with. He went and found a, a person that he could connect with. And, and if you understand just a a little bit about the uh, the geography here. There, there's an added feature here because Ramah, where Samuel was, where David went, was only two miles from Saul's town of Gibeah. It's two miles. He, he's right there in the lion's den. He's right there. Easy access to Saul. Saul has easy access to him. He's not running from that which is attacking him. He's not fleeing far away and saying, oh my goodness, I need to get out of here. He's far away from the situation and the harm and the, and the, the, the things that I need to get away from. He's saying, I trust God. And where I need to be is with God, fellowshipping with a brother who loves the Lord and who can encourage me, and who can, us together, we can, we can experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. What Scripture tell us, although it's in the context of church discipline, it, it, I think it has an application beyond those situations as well. Where two or more are gathered together, there I am also. And here you have just Samuel and David. And they're fellowshipping. And they're worshiping God. 
Remember what we've said over the last couple of weeks at th- in this particular time? This is when David wrote Psalm 59. This is when David sat down and, and composed that psalm. And there's so much in that psalm about the goodness of God and the strength of God and, and how God has preserved him and protected him and brought him through these things. He didn't run from the hurt that was there. He just ran to God. And he knew in that place, in that situation, in that circumstance, that whatever else is going on around him, he's in the center of God's will. And he's in God's presence. He can worship God and he can trust God to be his strength. And the Holy Spirit answered. The Holy Spirit responded. The Holy Spirit energized him. The Holy Spirit protected him. When we experience those times when it feels like God's providence or God's direction is not going our way, maybe we feel abandoned, maybe we feel left out, when it seems maybe even sometimes that that maybe God may be punishing us in our perspective from our mindset. Don't run away from God. Draw close to Him. Draw close to Him. Draw close to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Find that energy. Find that restoration. Find that strength in what God has provided, what God continues to provide. I think a second thing about the response that we see here is it's the necessity to to listen to God when he has corrected us. The three agents, the three sets of agents that Saul sent to God and God intervened with are what? They are God's warning to Saul that this is not what you're supposed to be doing. Saul should not have been surprised or shocked in the least when he got to Naoth, when he got to Ramah, that God pinned him down there. Because God had already given him three warnings with these previous agents that he had sent. Three times God had said, this is not the right direction to go, Saul. This is not what I want you to be doing, Saul. Stop it, Saul. And Saul didn't listen. Saul didn't respond. Saul didn't heed that warning. Eventually he went himself. And, And when you step out in blatant rejection of God's warnings and blatant rejection of God's instruction, God will judge you. God will correct you. And what's a, how does this, this rejection play out? Well, obviously, we've already talked about him just laying there for this time. But what happens right before that? What is the act that precedes this laying there? It says what? It says he stripped off all of his royal garments. What is that? That's God saying, you're not the king anymore, brother. You might as well take off those 
royal garments because they don't belong to you. You have rejected me. And because you have rejected me, I have rejected you. God is very serious about his sovereignty, his control, his leadership of our lives. Yes, when we come to Christ, Jesus is my friend. Jesus is my brother. We join heirs with Christ. We are called sons and daughters of God when we come to that salvation. No longer enemies, no longer traitors, no longer rebellious soldiers who are fighting against God and rebelling against him. We are now sons and daughters of God when we come to Christ. What a glorious transformation. What a, what a blessed standing that is. But as the writer of Hebrews reminds us, those whom God loves, God corrects. He chastises. I've talked many times about my parents, especially my dad. Strict, very strict disciplinarian. Very, very hard man in many ways. But you know what? In all those years and all those times, the punishments that I experienced, the difficulties I experienced, I always knew he still loved me. And as I look back as an adult on those times that I really didn't enjoy, really didn't like as a teenager, as a child, I'm so thankful for those times now. I'm so thankful for the, the truths he instilled in me, the hard work ethic that he said, this is what you're going to need to make it in this world. The same thing's true of my relationship with God. There have been times when he's corrected me. There have been times when I've been broken before the Lord because of my sin, because of my rebellion, because of my rejection of his word. And while I don't want to ever go through that again, and it was not a joyful experience when I did, I am so thankful that God disciplined me that he corrected me, that he redirected my life back to him. I wouldn't have the life that I have today if God just said, well, you're on your own. Go your own way. It's okay. He loved me enough to pull me back. He loved me enough to correct me. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit comforts and teaches and instructs and loves and, and, and just fills us with a sense of his presence, but the Holy Spirit also corrects. The question is, are we listening? Are we listening to his instruction? Are we listening to his correction? Are we following the path that he's laid out before us? And let me just say one more thing about this. Don't be looking, don't go looking for the big show when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Don't necessarily expect, again, these sorts of things. Don't, don't expect whatever it is you think is involved there, tongues or whatever it is. 
When you think of the Holy Spirit, think of it more like a hydroelectric dam. I've visited many dams over the years that were these hydroelectric, and, and a lot of them have, have the spillway over the top, where the water comes up over the top of them. And in my youth, when I saw that and I experienced that, I thought, okay, well, I could see where the electricity is being created here. The, the water is just flowing over the top of that. And I could see the power. I could see where that energy is coming from. Wow, that's amazing. But in my older years, as I came to understand how those things actually work, that's not where the power is at all. And the hydroelectric dams, the ones that provide energy for, for thousands, millions of people, the power is the quiet turbine underneath that you never see. You never see the water that's moving those turbines. You never see what they're actually doing. It's just underneath there working. The other stuff's just kind of showy. It has nothing to do with the electricity at all. It's just you got a little bit extra water, so it's flowing over the top. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not in the big shows and the big experiences and uh, the stuff that so many people think it's so much a part of. The Holy Spirit is that quiet turbine that's working inside you, energizing you, directing you, empowering you for God's purposes, God's goals. That's what we need to be seeking. That calm, blessed assurance that the Spirit alone can provide. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for your Spirit. I thank you for the power you provide. The comfort, the peace, the presence that is ours to experience as we give our life to you. God, I pray that if there's anyone here, firstly, who's never given their life, never handed their life over to you, never surrendered to the requirement, the expectation of a relationship with you, God, under the blood of Jesus and in, and in the power of, of his name, God, I pray that you would lay that on their hearts this morning, that you would use your Holy Spirit to, to convict, to reveal, to, to communicate our desperate need for you and that they would respond, God. But to God, I know that, that most of us here in this room have done that. They, we, we've given our life. And God, sometimes we struggle. I just pray, Lord, that you would help us today to commit to be more receptive, to, to listen to your word your written word, how you've warned us repeatedly over and over again. How you've taught us and instructed us. Lord, help us to listen and to be obedient. Use this time, Lord, to, to help us to be responsive to whatever you're leading us to, whether it's surrendering to ministry or just to share our faith with a neighbor or a loved one. Whatever it is you're wanting to say to us, God. Take clearly and help us to be responsive today. It's in Christ's name we pray.